Uh, back at it. We are back at it after a interesting opening weekend for Oklahoma State, a nail-biter against Tulsa. Not really what we expected. There's a lot of reasons for that, but uh, let's bring in Colby Powell. I'm, I'm Carson Cunningham, in case you've forgotten. Welcome to the Pistols Firing Podcast. Colby, we got a lot to get to, but uh, how, how was your weekend and uh, interesting OSU-Tulsa game? Yeah, I don't know if interesting is exactly the word I would use. I think I would use the word disgusting. Yeah. I think it was pretty disgusting from, from Spencer Sanders' injury early to having to watch Ethan Bullock play for two full quarters. Um, it was, especially on the offensive side of the ball, watching Chuba Hubbard try to find a hole that just didn't exist. I think disgusting is the word I would use to describe Oklahoma State's season opener. Garbage, as Gundy would say. Uh, it was, Garbage! That's exactly how I would, I would phrase it as well. But before we get to the, the first five, Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. You can shop online, too. If you haven't gone to a game in Stillwater this year, obviously football season's just underway. Sports have been canceled all summer, so you haven't really had a chance to get to Chris's University Spirit. You can shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. They got all the, all the gear you'd want, the polos, the T-shirts, everything you want to check them out. Obviously, Chris's is the best on campus and the best place to get OSU gear so with that said let's get to the first five uh I think Colby the way we're going to break this down let's kind of go bullet point by bullet point on the disgustingness and I think number one has to be the injury to Spencer Sanders he was taking some big shots early in the game and was already kind of coming up you know hobbled and then eventually he leaves the game and, and does not return early in the first quarter so it was Touch and go there for OSU. Obviously, they didn't seem like they had much of a backup quarterback plan, but what was your take on, on Spencer's injury and just everything that ensued there? Yeah, I had a golf tournament Saturday morning, so I went back and watched the first quarter on replay knowing that, uh, knowing that Spencer was going to get injured. So I was kind of watching for it, and I just don't know. As, as often as he is going to get hit, I don't, I don't see how he could make it through a 10-game season. He, he, you know, you watch uh, some of the better guys. Who, who are the best guys? at avoiding hits that we all think of. Kyler is phenomenal at avoiding getting hit. Russell Wilson is a wizard at avoiding getting hit. And I, I do think that that's an acquired skill that Spencer Sanders just doesn't have yet. And part of that is the offensive line. I, I grant you that. Um, but, but there are times where you have to pick your spots and not always try to get that extra yard and not always try to make something out of nothing. You've just got to live to fight another day. Um, I'm not blaming Spencer Sanders for getting injured. And you roll your ankle, that's just kind of things that happen throughout the course of the game in football. I'm just saying as far as sustainability goes, Oklahoma State needs to have a good backup because if you're not going to have a good offensive line, you're going to see more than one quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, it certainly was was bad luck with the way he was injured. I mean, it was, a, it was pretty much a routine hit. Now, I will say you do create your own luck with injury. And to your point – I think he has to watch tape on Kyler and Russell Wilson. Those are the two names that immediately popped into my head when you asked. I mean, Kyler has turned it into an art form. I mean, he's, he's significantly smaller than Spencer Sanders, and he's playing in the NFL level with guys that are built like, like buildings that can run 4-4 trying to kill him, and he doesn't get touched. Now, he's a lot quicker and more mobile than I think Spencer Sanders is, but he really needs to study the art of getting down, sliding, getting out of bounds. Mike Gunny talked about that last year. And it doesn't look as if, you know, through one quarter he's gotten any better at that. So he's, he has to realize he's too important to this team to be taking the shots that he was taking against Tulsa in game one. I mean, you expect him to try to get a few extra yards in Bedlam for a Big 12 title. Like that, 
let it all hang out, sure. But he's too important. And I think that that kind of speaks to Colby. I'm just floored, frankly, that Mike Gundy entered this season with the depth chart they have at quarterback. And I said this on the preseason pods with uh, with Kyle Porter. I was going through the depth chart, you know, two, three weeks ago going, this is not good. If Spencer Sanders gets hurt, who is coming in the game? Because you're looking at all those names. Obviously, Illingworth is highly recruited. We'll get to him. But I don't know how, Colby, they didn't go the JUCO route to get a guy with more experience. I guess this Bullock – I haven't really researched Ethan Bullock because I don't really need to because he's not going to play anymore. But I can't believe, uh, Colby, they didn't get someone with more experience behind Spencer Sanders knowing his injury history, knowing he likes to run around. That, that to me, was a huge misstep by Mike Gundy. Yeah, I think it was – as well, you know, you, you look at the backup quarterback situation. Take Spencer out because Spencer was clearly your number one coming into the season. But if there's one thing that Mike Gundy's been consistent on over the years, it's having the quarterback depth chart out of order. I mean, basically, Mike Gundy's entire tenure at Oklahoma State, you can print out your depth chart, you can take it, you can flip it upside down, and now you've got a list of who your best quarterbacks are on campus. And, and at this point, you're not just getting unlucky. You, you're, you're evaluating quarterbacks wrong in practice, whatever you're seeing is not translating to what happens on Saturdays. We've seen it time and time again. Alex Kate and Brandon Whedon. We saw uh, with Wes Lunt some of the stuff that happened early in his career before he transferred. Mason Rudolph had to chill behind Dax Garman for a while. We Ooh. had Spencer Sanders not take a single snap when he could chelf, play. Chelf, chelf, chelf. yes. Chelf, chelf, chelf. Yes, 100% chelf. And now we've got Ethan Bullock playing two full quarters, and they want to use the excuse that Shane Ellingworth hadn't played in, hadn't practiced in 14 days. Uh, okay, that might mean an excuse until your punter's leg is about to fall off of his body. <laughs> and then let's let's mix it up a little bit. And obviously, they had the wrong guy out there. Obviously, Illingworth is much more talented. So it's just it, – it's not an accident at this point. It is a trend that, you know, I'm assuming Mike Gundy, the head coach, is making those decisions on the quarterback. It's a trend now that in Stillwater, we can't figure out who the best player is at that position. Yeah, it, the list is lengthy on the times Gundy's gotten quarterback wrong. And and I am willing to give him somewhat of a pass initially by playing Bullock. I understand that Illingworth hadn't practiced. That, 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 that's not nothing. But as you said, when they're going three and out and punting every single – I mean, Bullock played eight possessions and they gained less than 100 yards. I don't, I don't know what he was seeing to think that that was going to turn around at any point. And I will say, like, again – Bullock, I'm sure, is a good kid, works hard. This is really not his fault. He shouldn't have been put in that position. And I don't no, think they no, even I'm really – I'm not mad at Bullock. Nobody should be mad at Bullock. He of is what he not. is. That's not his fault. Of course not. And I, I will say, I think if I'm Bullock, I'm a little upset that they didn't really put him in positions to succeed either. I mean, you had Tylen Wallace standing over on the sideline on key third down. They, they literally wouldn't just throw a screen pass to a receiver to get it out of his hands. Like, they, I don't think they managed – the game at all when Bullock was in there in terms of just getting the ball out of his hands to your playmakers and let them go to work. And I think Casey Dunn said this afterwards. He said they were a bit shell-shocked after the injury to, to Sanders. You know, it's the first quarter of the first game. And it, it certainly looked like to me, Colby, they were shell-shocked because they did not put their best foot forward, even with Bullock in there, just in terms of getting the ball to Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard in space. You mentioned the offensive line one blocking. I just think – I didn't think it was a great coaching performance regardless of what happened with Spencer Sanders. Yeah, it's interesting you say shell shock. Um, you think he was referring more to the players or to the coaches when he said that? I think he meant the coaches, just in terms of their game plan. I mean, they, they were not expecting, obviously, to play Ethan Bullock. I, I'm sure they don't even really know what Ethan Bullock does well at this point. I'm sure he was taking the backup reps. But 
it seemed to me like they were still trying to run the, the Spencer Sanders offense with Ethan Bullock when really you had to simplify it to fade route Tylen Wallace, screen pass Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, you know, handoffs which weren't working, maybe get Chuba Hubbard on some screen passes as well. And it, to me, they, it took them a while. When, when Illingworth came in, they are like, okay, it's almost like they dumbed it down for him, throw, throw the fade route, just get it to two. That's what they should have been doing initially, and I didn't think that was a great performance. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think that the coaches were probably shell-shocked when Spencer went down, did not have much of a backup plan, and it showed. I mean, it showed that the backup plan wasn't there. Um, Bullock, look, again, I'm not mad at Bullock. He is what he is. Uh, Illingworth, look, I'm not ready to say that Illingworth should be the first pick in the draft in four years, um, but he came out and he looked talented. And I, I get the two weeks no practice thing, but it, it's like if I played golf every day for a year and Dustin Johnson didn't touch his clubs for a year and then we went out to play match play, my money's on <laughs> DJ. And, and the, the gap from Ethan Bullock to Shane Ellingworth looked about as big as the gap from DJ to me on the golf course. So I, I get the no practice thing, but I think that that is a little bit of a, a convenient excuse because let's be honest with ourselves, Carson. If Shane Ellingworth had practiced every day the last two weeks, Ethan Bullock was still going to be the first quarterback off the bench because Illingworth's a true freshman, and that's kind of usually how things operate in Stillwater. That absolutely is a great point, which is number two on our, our first five. Let's talk more about, about Shane Ellingworth. To your point, he, he's a top 200 recruit in the country, a very highly recruited quarterback out of California, one of the highest recruits they've, they've ever gotten at the position. That includes Spencer Sanders. And you're right. I, I get the fact he hadn't practiced, but I do wonder if – if Bullock was going to be the guy, even if, if Illingworth had practice. But just in terms of arm talent, it was easy to see why he was highly recruited. That, that first fade route to Tylen Wallace was, was better than anything Bullock had done to that point. So I guess my question is, you know, with this offensive line, Colby, which, again, it's Tulsa. I understand it's the first game. But I have major, major alarm bells with this offensive line because even when Spencer Sanders was in there, they couldn't block. Tulsa had, I believe, six sacks. They had 14 sacks all of last season. Tulsa got to the quarterback with a three-man rush. That does not spell positive things moving into Big 12 play. Obviously, you liked what you saw at Illingworth, but to your point, he might be under some duress if he has to play on Saturday. Yeah, I, uh, I went back and watched all six sacks the offensive line gave up. We should also note uh, right guard went out with injury early in that game as well, so obviously that doesn't help. I went back and watched all six sacks. Of those six – I think two or three were probably solely the offensive line's fault. Uh, one of those was Bullock's fault. He just ran out of bounds four yards behind the line of scrimmage uh, instead of throwing the ball away. And then a couple of those, uh, one of them early I thought was on Spencer holding the ball too long. So I'd say I'd put half of them on the offensive line. My huge concern with the offensive line is that I'm watching Chuba Hubbard run into a wall of Golden Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And these aren't five-star athletes, Carson. These are guys who are, are at Tulsa which is, don't get me wrong, a high level of football still, but, I mean, it, it ain't like you're playing Clemson, and Chuba had nowhere to go. So I, I don't know what the solution to that problem is. Maybe if you have more of a threat in the passing game, then they can't just totally load up to stop one guy, uh, and that'll help a ton. But I, I think the run blocking for me is, is where Oklahoma State fans need to be concerned because if Chuba's supposed to be the backbone of your offense, he's got to have somewhere to run. Yeah, that I mean, and you you saw it too. I think they tried to lean on the running game in Chuba, obviously when Spencer went out, and they, they, they literally couldn't run the ball against Tulsa. Now, to your point, they did lose a, a player on the offensive line. And, you know, that the offensive line is more about cohesion than just about any unit on the field. So I, I'm willing to give them somewhat benefit of the doubt. But to me, that 
that spells huge alarm bells. And the the floor, I think, for this offensive line, which I don't think they're that far from after watching week one, is that offensive line in 2014, Colby, that literally couldn't block air. Whoa. And I don't, I'm not ready to say they're that bad. I mean, Tevin Jenkins is going to be a high draft pick uh, in the NFL draft. They have some talent there on the left side of the line, but, man, that right side, it – you know, Charlie Dickey was very honest in preseason. He said they are a work in progress, and, my goodness, that's what they look like. And to me, to me, Colby, I'm a little concerned that the offensive line is going to look like it did when they, they couldn't block anybody. And I think that, that really lowers the ceiling for this team. I mean, this is a team that we, we both thought should be in at Jerry World for the Big 12 championship game. But if their offensive line can't block Tulsa – how are they going to get to, to Jerry World? That's a, that's a huge red flag in week one. Yeah, I think it is too, especially with what we saw from Texas. I understand it was against UTEP, but I do think Texas is going to be improved this year. They've, they've got some younger guys that they've gotten on the field from these stacked recruiting classes that they've put together. Um, boy, this game against West Virginia this week, and, and I know that we've got a lot more conversation to go there, but I, I don't know how healthy Spencer's going to be. Obviously, Illingworth's going to be the guy if Spencer isn't out there, but – I mean, this Oklahoma State team, it, it was so ugly in week one, but all your goals are still in front of you. But it, it doesn't feel like they're achievable. And, and, and I don't want to overreact to one week because Spencer went down early. He played the wrong quarterback for a couple quarters. Obviously, maybe things can improve. But through one week, it, it seems like the goals that we set out for Oklahoma State at the beginning of the season may have been a little bit unrealistic because they might just not be good enough up front. And that is a story as old as time in Stillwater – and I get why Oklahoma State fans are frustrated. It's, it's so tough whenever you see NFL talent at receiver, NFL talent at running back. You've got some NFL talent, I think, on that defensive side of the football. And, and yet you just can't get a block. And everyone is running for their lives. It's just – it really is exhausting to watch your skill players fight for their lives when you know that if they had a good old line, they could just dominate. Well, especially when in 2011, they might have had the best offensive line in the country under Joe Wickline. And yeah, that, that was uh, – was that Okung? No, not 2011. Uh, Okung was, was there uh, during uh, – was, was he Levy, there? Levy Adcock, Grant Garner, a lot of guys that were really underheralded that, that you know, Lane Taylor, I think, was on that team as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, really, I mean, again, I think that's – one of, them, one of Mike Gundy's biggest issues with this program is he's not been able to replace Joe Wickline. Uh, those two had a falling out. And, look, Wickline hasn't exactly lit up the world coaching. He's been bouncing around, too. I'm not here to say he's the end-all, be-all of offensive line coaches, but the simple fact is it's been a revolving door for O-line coaches in Stillwater. And I think you're starting to see that with recruiting. I think Dickey's done a, a good job when he's been in there. But he's, and it was and better last year, though. It, 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 it was. It was better last year. It was better. It wasn't a weakness, which is, I think, all you're really asking at this point with how many coaches have come and gone. So I think Dickey did do a good job. I think he's trying to do a good job. But, again, those those defections at the beginning of the year, Colby, I think we tend to overlook that and, and focus more on Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, all the, all the big names. But I think we're already seeing the, the big losses there on the offensive line. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it's, it's like you get Bryce Bray transferring out a week or two before the season. It's just – everything always seems to happen just right for Oklahoma State on the offensive line. It's like you remember uh, Rudolph and Washington's senior year when they lost that game to TCU in September and everybody went nuts? Well, mm -hmm. the right guard and the right tackle got injured at practice that week. So they had two, two non-starters on the offensive line. It, it's like, you know, Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong on the offensive line will go wrong in Stillwater. And it's, uh, 
it's tough. I mean, you hope it improves. You, you can probably get past, you know, you can probably get past half of the Big 12 with a bad O-line, and then half of the Big 12, you're really going to find yourself in a fight if you can't block. And, and that's why I say I'm worried about Texas, because if there's one thing Texas has, it's athletes. And if you get those athletes matched up against a bad offensive line, it could turn into a long day. So uh, we'll see. Again, I, I think being able to score points and having the right guy uh, taking the snaps, even if Spencer Sanders isn't healthy, will help. But this weekend's game is going to be huge for confidence for Oklahoma State and just to keep all your goals in front of you. Absolutely. And they would have lost this game against Tulsa if not for number three, the OSU defense, Colby. There was a lot of hype coming into the season, rightfully so. Ten starters returning. All-American candidate like Colby Harvell-Peel in the backfield, or in the secondary, rather, and uh, Trace Ford. And the list goes on and on. And, Colby, I don't want to get too carried away in week one. Like, I think I already got carried away on the offensive line. <laughs> so, I'm going to try not to get too carried away on the positive side, too, with uh, with the defense. But, man, they, they lived up to the billing. I mean, 0 for 11 on third down for Tulsa's offense with a quarterback that – I think it's actually 0 for 12. I think they snuck another one in there late. Uh, the box score says 0 for 11, but I think they – Oh, we're maybe, looking at different box scores. I'm on ESPN. They're showing 0 for 12, but okay, well, they, they even, did not pick up a single third down. Even better, yeah. And I think 1 for 4 on fourth down. I mean, it, yep. absolutely incredible for performance. And they, they frankly would have lost the game if not for the defense. Yeah, and it's not even – as bad as Oklahoma State was offensively, they still outgained Tulsa by a yard. Uh, they held Tulsa three and a half yards per rush, uh, got an interception. It was – I mean, it was really solid from Oklahoma State. It's about as good as you could have asked for on the defensive side of the ball. The one time Tulsa did score was on a short field. Oklahoma State went for it on fourth and short. They gave it to Chuba. He got crushed three yards in the backfield. I think they started at their own 44-yard line, so they didn't have to go very far at the end of the first half to score that touchdown and were able to get in. But, I mean, it's, it's the guys you would expect, the usual suspect. Ten tackles for Malcolm Rodriguez, eight tackles for Trey Serling. Uh, Trey Sterling, Tanner McAllister, I thought had a really good game. He had the deflection in the end zone. Uh, Christian Holmes, I thought played well. Calvin Bundage was getting after it pretty good. So uh, I think as, as far as the defense goes, it was as good as you could have hoped for in an opening game from Oakland. You weren't expecting the defense to have to beat Tulsa, and that's what happened, and they did it. They absolutely had to. I mean, they needed every single stop. I mean, there was a period of time there in the first half, Colby, where – I felt like if Tulsa got another touchdown, the game might be over. That and, and I think OSU's defense sensed it as well. And they, man, they played really well. And that's that's such an encouraging sign because, as we mentioned with the offensive line, I think that's an avenue for Oklahoma State to get to Jerry World. If they end up having the best defense in the Big Twelve, well, then all of a sudden you don't need your offense to score forty points to win every single week, like we're so accustomed to seeing in Stillwater. So that. That's a huge, huge, huge positive for OSU because, that, man, they, they just have playmakers all over the field. And that, that, that's an encouraging sign. Because you mentioned with Texas, and again, I know people don't want to admit this, but Mike Yurcich might be a good offensive coordinator for all the, yes, people, that keep, for all the people that keep going into my mentions and they, they try to blame Yurcich for all the failings on OSU's offense. It looked like to me Tulsa had – or in Tulsa, Texas had the first inkling of what an offense is supposed to look like in years. They were running RPO. They had nearly 700 yards of offense. Uh, so Texas's offense might be a little improved, and then you get their defensive talent against OSU's offensive line. That could that could not spell well good things for OSU. But again, just overall great performance from OSU's defense. They they look the part early on, and maybe that's how they can yeah. win games in the Big 12. Yeah, my favorite random stat from the box score from Saturday. 
is that Tylen Wallace and Jarek Bernard Converse had the same amount of tackles on Saturday. They each had one. So <laughs> that's my favorite random stat from Saturday. Don't get hurt, Tyler, making a tackle. That's that's not what OSU. Well, he made a good tackle too. That kid, because he he was getting into it with that corner too. They had a little little battle going on out there. Yeah, but uh, again, game ball to the defense. They 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 earned it. Uh, number four. Let's look ahead slightly to uh, West Virginia. It's early in the week, but um, Mike Gundy said Spencer Sanders in a boot, and they're going to wait and see how he feels on Wednesday. Colby, based on things I'm hearing, I think it's highly doubtful that, that Spencer Sanders plays, which which means it might be the Shane Illingworth show. So, I mean, um, that could be interesting. Obviously, it's West Virginia, team pick near the bottom of the Big 12, but uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if Sanders plays on Saturday. Yeah, it sounds to me, and, and again, we're just hearing what we're being told, it kind of sounds like a high ankle sprain, doesn't it? Sure does. Yeah, and I mean, if it's a high ankle sprain, that's what Michael Thomas has right now in the NFL. He's two to four weeks. That's what Christian McCaffrey has right now in the NFL. He's two to four weeks. So if that's what Spencer Sanders has, I'm probably going to go ahead and assume that he's going to be two to four weeks, especially with the way he plays. He's not a stationary player. Um, and honestly, he doesn't do you a lot of good as a stationary player. If he can't move, you're probably better off with Illingworth in there. So I doubt he plays. Uh, hopefully you can get past West Virginia with Illingworth. But, I mean, this is getting thrown into the fire. Hopefully he gets all the first-team reps this week. I, I just – please, please don't. Don't let the coaches, Gundy, whoever, come out and give me some sort of garbage about how they're in an, an intense battle to see who's going to get the start on Saturday if Spencer doesn't play. If Spencer uh, doesn't play, Shane Illingworth needs to take every snap. Every snap. I guarantee you we're not going to see Ethan Bullock on Saturday, barring an injury to Illingworth. I think uh, yeah. you got you got to go with the true freshman. Obviously, he'll have all week to practice. And and I, I do think OSU gets somewhat of a break. They get West Virginia, then at Kansas, then at Baylor. Maybe you can get Sanders back by by the Baylor game. But I was so impressed with Illingworth, Colby. We touched on him a little bit earlier, but I think one of the biggest plays he made, obviously the you th the first thing you think of is the fade route to Tylen Wallace. But you mentioned Ethan Bullock taking a sack four yards behind the line of scrimmage by running out of bounds. There was a period of time there where Illingworth was rolling to his right throws the ball away, didn't try to force it, didn't run out of bounds. That, that was a heady play for me for a true freshman playing his first ever college football game. And obviously, he showed off the arm talent. You could see him spin it. You could see him why he was a top recruit out of California. But I, I am curious to see how the OSU offense will look with him under center. But I, I was really encouraged by the things I saw. And you could just see Colby, too, the way the team reacted to him. They knew they had no chance to win the game at, at a certain point with Bullock in the game. They were fired up when Ellingworth came in, when he made a big play. Uh, I, I was so impressed with him because a kid, a kid who literally probably didn't know where his helmet was when they, when they told him to get in the game because he was not expecting to play. Yeah, I think that Tylen's reaction to catching that first ball said it all. And it was a phenomenal catch from, from Tylen, a, a sports center top 10 quality catch. He's, he's unbelievable, and we know that. But the way he got up, and reacted, it was almost as if for him, the game started right then. Right then and there, the game started. All right, it's on. Let's go. Let's get after it. We've got one quarter to win this game. I think that's kind of how everybody felt. And there's, you mentioned the throwing it away thing. And I talked about Ethan Bullock running out of bounds four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage um, earlier. It's some guys have it, Carson. And, and you know it. I know it. Fans who watch the game know it. You can see when a guy has it, when he's got good instincts, when he's got a good feel for the game. And Bullock didn't, and Illingworth did. I mean, but Illingworth's feel in the pocket, I thought his 
I, I don't, I don't want to say that he was necessarily going through his reads. He only threw five passes, and most of those were to Thailand. But, uh, I mean, you better look at Thailand for a good long minute and make sure he's covered before you don't throw it his way because that first ball that he threw up and that catch Thailand made, whew, if I was a quarterback, I'd be letting it sling his way just about every time. Absolutely. I mean, get it to two, and, and you think good things will happen. And I am curious to see what this offense looks like with Illingworth. He's a much different style of quarterback than Spencer Sanders. He's 6'5", much more built like the, the – maybe the offense will look much more like the Brandon Whedon offense, which we talked on the last show where you, you mentioned Casey Dunn has been around, you know, Dana Holgerson, Todd Munkin, on down the line. He's been around a lot of big-time offensive coordinators – Maybe he'll kind of dip back into that Brandon Whedon playbook because he is a pocket-style passer with a cannon arm. And maybe they'll – especially with the offensive line that we mentioned, not being able to run the football very well, with even with a Chuba Hubbard at running back, maybe they'll – maybe it'll look a bit more like 2011 around here with some more air raid principles. Yeah, maybe it will. And I think you can help your offensive line out by having the ability to take shots. And with Bullock, I didn't think you had the ability to take shots. With Illingworth – I mean, he's big kid, big arm. I know he's a true freshman. You, you don't want to put him in a position to fail and make mistakes. But, I mean, if, if they're going to load the box to stop Chuba, if they're going to give you one-on-ones with Tylen or with Braden Johnson, for that matter, tell those guys to just flat-out blaze down the sideline and take some shots because you've got to keep the defense honest. You cannot let them load the box and just shut down Chuba Hubbard. And that's what Tulsa did on Saturday. So, against West Virginia, I would like to see some early shots. I think you can actually use – the pass to set up the run on Saturday because I think if Spencer doesn't play, West Virginia will be expecting the opposite. I think they'll be expecting you to kind of ease your true freshman quarterback into his first start. I say to hell with that. Let him get confidence early. Go out and let him sling it around, and then I think West Virginia will back off a little bit and you can let Chuba kind of go to work. So uh, I I think letting Illingworth take some shots is going to be key for this defense. Maybe even you mentioned the Whedon offense. Maybe even the uh, Rudolph to Washington. Maybe we mm. get an Illingworth to Wallace going in still. Nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, I'm, I do fear, though, kind of what you mentioned, they might just go off tackle left, off tackle right. Let's kind of ease into this. I think if, if that's the Isn't game that too plan. too predictable, though? It is, but it's also conservative, which I, I certainly expect Mike Gunny to be with a, with a true yeah. freshman making his first start on, on ABC. <laughs> you know, that that will be a big thing, stage for a young player. I guess the one thing I worried about, you remember Spencer. I mean, Spencer redshirted for a year, and he still came out last year and had the Texas Tech and the Baylor games, which were just looked confused, uh, turning the ball over. And I'll say this, there's a big difference between Tulsa in week one that can't move the ball and conference play. I mean, Mm -hmm. West Virginia or not, this is conference play. This is Power 5 football. There's a big difference. So, um, and and again, that's why I almost think letting him take shots is a good good deal because, I mean, if you're taking a deep shot and you know you've got single coverage, you're not asking him to read a ton of things. You're not asking him to go through a ton of progressions and make a ton of decisions. I think you want easy plays where he's got one, maybe two reads to make and that sets him up to have success. I, I totally agree. And this is where I think Gundy needs to remember that once upon a time, he was a true freshman thrown into a game very early in his freshman season, and he did fine. He ended up being a yep. great player. So I, yep. I, I don't think he needs to be scared of, of playing a freshman. He, he's probably going to have to, frankly, with what happened to uh, Spencer Sanders. We're going to talk much more about the OSU Tulsa game. We're going to hand out some awards. But first, uh, Colby, let's, let's talk some golf. Matthew oh. Wolf. Had a chance to become the first player in 107 years. Yes, 107 years to win the U.S. Open in his first attempt. He shot five over par 
Bryson DeChambeau shoots three under par, and that's that. But uh, a great showing. He's now finished in the top five of his first two career majors. But, man, I was a little concerned about DeChambeau lurking behind him going into the final round, and, and my fears were realized. Yeah, Bryson, look, he's trying to revolutionize the game of golf with what he's doing. The one-length clubs, bulking up, hitting it a mile. It was – uh, look, it's still a great experience for Wolf to have the 54-hole lead at the U.S. Open and to go out. He still finished runner-up, and I know people are going to look at a 5-over-75 and think that he choked in the final round. He really didn't. There was one player in the field under par yesterday. 71 guys, I think, made the cut. One guy shot under par yesterday, and it was Bryson. He played a historically great round of golf. That's not a knee-jerk reaction. You look at strokes gained uh, in the final round of the U.S. Open. He gained almost eight strokes on the field yesterday with his 67. Uh, came, became only the fifth player, I think, to ever win his first major championship by at least six strokes. So he absolutely dominated, brought Wingfoot to its knees, which I don't think anybody thought was possible. But uh, still really cool to see Wolf in that situation. I, I still think he handled himself well, got himself a runner-up finish, which a runner-up at the U.S. Open, I think, is like a nice $1.2 or $1.3 million check. Uh, Hovland tried to backdoor a top five, then didn't finish so well, but still got in the top 25, I think. Uh, so I think it was a good week all around for Oklahoma State golf. Alex Norin, Ricky Fowler both made the cut as well. So I think uh, yesterday they were talking on the broadcast, the, the shocking statistic that Oklahoma State's only had one golfer ever win a major championship, Bob Tway in 1986. I think that that stat is going to be short-lived. I think sometime in the next few years we'll see Wolf or Hovland or maybe even both get one. Yeah, I mean, that, that is stunning, thinking about all the PGA Tour professionals they've had out of Stillwater, that Tway is the only one who's won it, and he, he chipped in, or he, he bunkered it in to, to win it, too. It was in crazy yeah. circumstances that he won one, but I just, again, it, it didn't matter with the way Bryson played, but just Wolf is such a better putter than he's shown in the PGA and the U.S. Open. God, if you look back to the PGA, he had so many putts that he missed down the stretch that if he just makes half of them, he might've won it. And then you look at all the, the putts that he missed uh, yesterday at, um, at Wingfoot. man, it was right there to, to keep pace with Bryson, but you're right. Bryson three under par on that course on Sunday when everyone else was three, four five over is just absurd. It didn't really much matter what, what Wolf did. I mean, to me, you can talk a lot about the technology. I think that's a discussion that could be lengthy, but, to me, it was the chipping and putting of Bryson that was just was just too good. I just there was there's not a whole lot Wolf could do. And I, I heard uh, Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg made this point. I think it's a great one. Wolf just could not get the tee back. You know, he lost the tee to Bryson on three, maybe three or four. Yeah, when he made bogey, yeah. And Wolf makes eagle on nine and still doesn't get the tee back because Bryson also made eagle. So it, he really didn't have the tee the rest of the round, and that. His point was that's so disheartening because you're basically in match play at this point with the scores those two guys had. They were clearly out in front. And just got it's got to be a mental drain to just, God, I just made eagle and I still don't have the tee. So I thought that was a great point and just kind of the, the way the day played out. Yeah, I think at Harding Park, Matthew Wolf definitely hit some bad putts on the back nine. He had some straight putts. Those greens were not crazy difficult. I kind of give him a pass at Wingfoot because – Wingfoot has probably top three toughest greens in the entire world. Um, and, and we saw a lot of that with the slopes and the ridges and the ball moving around and guys putting around the hole and coming back to it. Um, we saw a lot of that. So I give him a little bit of a pass at Wingfoot. But he's in his first two major championships right out of the gate. He had chances to win both. He missed three putts 
inside eight feet on Sunday at Harding Park, lost by three. He trailed by one going to the back nine yesterday, ended up losing by six. Now, obviously, that was Bryson doing something pretty historic, but Wolf was also headed the other direction as well. So um, definitely a tough Sunday for him, but I think he handled himself well, and I think he is very poised. I, I think that Wolf – Look, by no means am I predicting double-digit majors. Almost nobody in the history of the game gets to double-digit majors. But I think, you know, a couple, two, three, four majors, um, I think that that's a very realistic career expectation and goal for a guy who has the firepower and seemingly doesn't have real glaring weaknesses in his game, which I don't think Matthew Wolf does. No, I mean, two top fives right out of the gate, you got to like his chances to win multiple majors. And I think the most encouraging thing for me is – both courses were set up not really for Matthew Wolf. I mean, narrow fairways, Three. thick rough. It's supposed to it's supposed to limit the bombers, but it didn't matter because he swings so hard, so fast, he can get it out of that rough. So when they go to courses, you know, like um, where's the U.S. Open next year out in San Diego? Torrey Pines. Torrey Pines. Like, yeah. Torrey Pines. Like he's got a great chance to win there. I mean, I. I don't know where his game won't travel to. I mean, it's that to me is the most encouraging part. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know about British Opens across the pond, just the way he hits it. He hits it so high, and he's mm. very much a new school type of player. Uh, but maybe he adapts. We've seen other guys go over there and get it done. We didn't think Phil would win over there, and he did. Of course, it took him about 25 tries uh, <laughs> to get that one knocked off the list. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that that was good. And, and another thing – and you know this, we both played – casual weekend golf and we're all right um if you play an incredible round one day and then you have to go out and back it up the next day it is so hard to do and Wolf played one of the rounds of his life on Saturday a 65 on the weekend at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot when almost everybody there were seven guys under par on Saturday and Wolf shot 65 to take a two-shot lead into Sunday when you play one of the best rounds of your life it is just so tough and even tougher conditions the next day and all that pressure to back it up. So I, I give him a major pass on not winning that tournament. Bryson came and got it. I didn't really feel like he lost it. Still got a runner-up finish. So nice big fat check, bunch of world ranking points, bunch of FedEx Cup points moving toward next season. So um, that's that's the thing we got to remember too. We're in the 2020-2021 wraparound season for the PGA. So he just got himself a whole bunch of points and got his season kickstarted in a very nice way. And a whole bunch of money. That doesn't hurt. A whole bunch of money. <laughs> I wish hurt. I wish there would have been fans, and we can move on after this. I wish there would have been fans there because they would have been so much behind Wolf more so than DeChambeau. Like, Bryson's not well-liked, and Wolf's just such an easy guy to pull for. You heard a little bit of it when they were, I think, on nine. You could hear some fans doing the, the howling. But, uh, man, I wish he would have had a – and I think Wolf's a guy that thrives on crowds. You remember the the, the win at Carston Creek for the national championship? He, oh, yeah. He, he thrived off of it. So I, well, I just I wish think, that would I think, happen. I think fans will really root for him. I think he's really likable. So I think whenever you do get fans, he'll kind of have, obviously, not like a Tiger advantage. But I, I think certainly going against a guy like Bryson, I think the fans would have been pulling for Matt yesterday. Yep, no doubt. Uh, let's get back to the football, OSU Tulsa. Let's do our segment we like to call Bullets and BBs. Uh, I think a, a reader submitted that to Kyle once upon a time. We're sticking with it. Basically, giving out a bullet helmet sticker for someone that played well and a, a BB for someone who maybe not uh, played as well. Maybe their stock's heading, trending downward. Uh, I'll lead it off with a, with a bullet here, Colby. I got to give it to LD Brown. I thought he looked like a completely different player 
uh, not just because he's wearing number zero now, but he really ran hard through the tackles, ran through some tackles, had a touchdown called back through, due to a holding penalty. I thought, you know, I was concerned about the running back depth behind Chuba Hubbard because L.D. Brown, to me, had been very inconsistent, had not really shown me a whole lot in his career other than just a few flashes. But, man, he looked like a completely different player and, and really looked more effective than Chuba Hubbard throughout that game. I, I got to give it up to L.D. Brown. Yeah, I think so, too. It's, you know, I think early in his career, the first couple of years, Gundy talked about this a lot in pressers. He did a lot of dancing. He was trying to get away from guys. He wasn't just hitting the hole. And Saturday, I thought that he was explosive. I thought he got the ball in his hands, and he just went. He took the first hole that he saw. He went pedal to the metal, and, and there he went. And it was a shame that uh, Rice Snyder had that holding penalty on the offensive line. And it, it was a holding penalty. There wasn't a ton there. Uh, and maybe he gets through it even without the holding penalty. But it, it was probably the right call. So it was a shame that he got that one called back because he was fired up when he broke through for that big touchdown. But I do feel much more comfortable that uh, you can get somebody else. How many carries did he have? He had nine carries on Saturday. Chuba had 27. I think that's perfect. A three-to-one disparity, disparate, whatever, for, for Chuba and LD. Yeah. For every three carries Chuba gets, LD gets one. I think that's a perfect balance for those two. I like that a lot. Who's yours? Uh, my bullet? St- stay with me here. I'm going to give my bullet to Alex Hale, who comes in in his first collegiate game, and by no means did I think Oklahoma State was going to need Alex Hale to go win them an opening football game (laughs) against Tulsa. He was nails, Carson. Three of three, just looked rock solid. He comes out to hit the game winner late. You're up by six, and you're kicking a field goal, so you know if you make it, you're going to win the game. If you miss it, your defense has to get a stopper. You're going to lose the game, and he was just nails right down the middle. So uh, let's give it up to Alex Hale, who I thought had a phenomenal debut in a game that he should not have had to kick pressure pack field goals I'm not gonna lie when OSU lined up for their first field goal attempt of the season I was like wait a second who's the kicker I have no <laughs> idea who the kicker is and they, they pop up Alex Hale from Australia I'm like well this isn't going in then all he proceeded to do was be absolutely absolutely rock solid never a doubt I mean those kicks were were as true as you, you'd like and some of them were I mean they were all clutch they needed every single point they could get against Tulsa yeah I like that pick a lot. Uh, he, yeah, that, that I bodes think, well uh, for the Tom rest Hutton of the season. Was better. I think Tom Hutton was better punting the ball on Saturday than he was a season ago. Averaged <laughs> almost 42 yards a punt on five tries. So, hopefully we don't see him punt five times every game. But I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, Hutton was a, a roller coaster last year. So, so, you're telling me they have an all-Aussie punting and kicking unit? Yes, sir. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. That's pretty sweet. Uh, yep. My BB of the, of the game has to go the offensive line. We don't have to touch – we've touched a lot on it so far. But – Again, Colby, just that does not bode well for Big 12 play. I mean, Tulsa getting to them with a three-man rush was, was flat-out embarrassing, frankly, for, for that offensive line. Yeah, I think it was, too. I, I kind of like that one. It, it was a rough day. It was a rough day. And, again, if Chuba doesn't get to 100 against Tulsa and, – and we, we talked about how last year's offensive line was quite a bit better, and then we saw the dip in game one this year. I think last year against Tulsa in the first half, it just alone, first half, Chuba had almost 180 yards rushing maybe, uh, and he had 93 the entire game on 27 carries Saturday. So, did get the one touchdown late, which was nice. But my BB for Saturday, uh, and this one's probably pretty predictable, I'm giving my BB to the quarterback depth chart, Carson. The Ooh. quarterback depth chart, which for the millionth time in Stillwater was listed out of order, uh, and quarterbacks were played <laughs> out of order. So, give me the quarterback depth chart for my BB. Yeah, I like that one too. I mean, I again, Illingworth didn't practice, so I'm willing to give him 
a little bit of rope there, but uh, to your point, maybe that would have been the, the depth chart regardless of, of practice time. We'll never know. But I do expect number 16 to try it out there first against West Virginia if Sanders can't go. Uh, let's hear one more time for uh, Chris's University Spirit. Obviously, you can go shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Get your polos, your T-shirts, your tailgating gear that will have to remain in the garage this year. But OSU always has one of the best tailgating scenes in the entire country. Colby, I've been to a lot of games around the country. I think OSU's tailgating scenes as good as any I've seen. Uh, OSU tailgating is pretty slick. It is pretty slick. It was weird. The pictures outside Boone Pickens Stadium, it was weird, man. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. Yeah. So if you're in Stillwater, head over to Chris University Spirit. You know where to go for your one-stop cowboy shop. Let's get to the uh, uniform. The way, I, go ahead. Yeah, I was just fixing to say, I, I didn't think you were getting to the uniforms. I wanted to know if you had an inside track to perfectly nailing these uniforms. No, let's get to the uniform review. I was a perfect three for three in 2020. It's about the only thing that's gone right in 2020. But no, Colby, it's just there's there's trends and the the equipment staff is pretty superstitious and Justin Southwell who is way more deeper into the uniform predictions and and he knows way more about it former walk-on receiver at, at OSU he he does kind of our uniform tracker too for PFB he noted after they announced the combo that they've worn the Patriot Pete helmet like three straight times against Tulsa Oh, so wow. they, they, and they've obviously won every game, even though this one was a little more dicey. So uh, that's kind of why I went white, orange, white. They always tend to wear that week one. So I didn't have any insight. It's just I've been doing this a long time to where I, I kind of have trends in my mind when, the, when certain games come up. Yeah, that was well done. Because not only did you guess the white helmet, but you correctly guessed which logo would be on the side of the white helmet, the, the OSU or the Patriot Pete. And it was the Patriot Pete. So well done. I guessed uh, orange, black, and orange, which was a swing and a miss. Uh, my guess was about as good as Oklahoma State's offense for the first three quarters. So. <laughs> well, I've peaked early, so that's that's that's. <laughs> so it can only good, go down from here. That's is what you're not doing. a good sign for me. Uh, before we get to uh, the end of the show, Colby, I I do like to do also the the uniform Heisman of the game, and I'll give you some time to think about yours. But I got to go with Trace Ford. This dude in a uniform, he, he looks like an NFL player already, and he was getting into it with the Tulsa sideline and just. He's pretty clean. He doesn't have a lot of extracurricular uniform activity, but uh, I thought he looked good in the uni. I, I can't get behind the LD Brown at number zero. It just it looks so weird and strange to me. I can't get behind zero on a, on a football field, but I thought LD Brown looked good running the football, but, but Trace Ford is my, uh, my uniform Heisman for the week. I didn't put this on the rundown, so I'm kind of surprising you with it. No, that's not bad. I've got one, though. As soon as you said it, it initially came to my mind. Rodarius Williams, I thought, looked, uh, looked the part. Saturday I thought he very much looked like an NFL type body an NFL type corner and uh, he was definitely rocking the white orange white so Rodarius Williams is the choice for me his 40th consecutive start Rodarius Williams he started uh, every game since he got on campus was he a true freshman when he started I believe so I can't remember he might have been a redshirt freshman and AJ Green was a true freshman I can never keep those two straight yep well, that'll do it, Colby. Week one is in the books. Uh, week two, West Virginia at home, 2.30 on ABC. On You can only see that on KOCO if you're in the Oklahoma City area. We're going to have a pregame show at 10 a.m. because uh, there's no real TV window for us, Colby. <laughs> they, they have a game on until, you know, from from 11 a.m. all the way through 6, 7, 8 o'clock or in, into the primetime. What's game, the 11 so. o'clock game? Do you know? I uh, don't recall. I haven't looked at the full schedule, but uh, we'll be doing the pregame show, and uh, it'll be an interesting game if, if Spencer Sanders isn't able to play. 
yeah, it'll be all eyes glued to Shane Illingworth to see what he looks like because I'm telling you, I mean, if he comes out and he looks like the guy, let's just – Let's just be careful about how we make decisions on quarterbacks going forward. <laughs> well, I was already getting mentions that uh, Ellingworth was better than Spencer Sanders because that's how Twitter works, right? It's just spur of the moment, instant reaction, instant yeah. overreaction. Yeah, let's, no, let's not I'm get too not far ahead of ourselves there. here. <laughs> I am not going there. I'm just saying if Spencer misses two, three weeks and Ellingworth goes out and lights everybody up, then it might be a conversation. It is it definitely might. not a conversation after he throws. After, come on, computer. Uh, after he throws Sean McDonough make an appearance. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get more information on Sanders as the week progresses. We'll get back with you, Colby, on Friday to preview Oklahoma State and West Virginia. We'll see you then, Colby. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan.